Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Tackling random crime and chaos. People have a right to feel secure in their homes, in their businesses, and on British Columbia's streets. The new plan to crack down on prolific offenders and why some say it's too little too late. Attack on public transit, the search for a suspect in a crime caught on camera. And honoring the life of a Little League hero. It was the love of the ballpark, the love of Wally Little League, the love of the kids. How Ed Myers changed the game in Wally, teaching a lot more than baseball skills. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We'll get to those stories in a moment, but we begin with breaking news. The 911 service is in crisis this evening in the southern BC interior. Emergency phones, we are told, are not working, affecting an area from Lillooet all the way to the Alberta border. That includes major cities in the Okanagan, Kamloops area, and in the Kootenays. Anyone with an emergency is being asked to call their local police detachment's 10-digit non-emergency line if you need it. If you have a non-urgent matter, you're asked not to call at this time. Technicians are trying to find the cause of the 911 problem and restore service. If we have an update, we'll get it to you before the end of the news hour. In the meantime, the province is finally acknowledging the problem of random crime and chaos in B.C.'s urban centres. It's teaming up with the B.C. Urban Mayor's Caucus to hire some experts in law enforcement and mental health. But as Richard Zussman reports, those on the front lines feel the move lacks the urgency it needs. Taking the time to address crime. Although overall crime rates have declined, there is a small group of prolific offenders who repeatedly victimize British Columbians. On Thursday, the province launching an investigation, hiring two experts to spend the next four months looking into how to stop the surge in crime linked to repeat offenders. Many quick to point out there are already potential solutions on the table, from real-time electronic monitoring to a dedicated Crown prosecutor for repeat offenders... To compulsory support programs. We want the expert uh, advice before we go to all the work of implementing something that doesn't work. Uh, they may go to police where there is existing electronic monitoring and the police will tell them we have that. At Marquee Wine Cellar in Vancouver, frustration from owner John Claritas, who has seen the crime firsthand, struggling to understand why with so many good options on the table, an investigation needs to drag on until September another government hand-holding uh, exercise. 
going to be they got to have 120 days to report back. There's 4.2 assaults a day, so 500, quick math, 550 people or so are going to get assaulted. The increase in crime has been focused in downtowns across the province. In Kelowna, 15 prolific offenders led to more than 1,000 negative interactions with police. In Nanaimo, 12 offenders leading to 1,300 negative interactions. And in Vancouver, from just 40 prolific offenders, more than 6,000 negative interactions and not one charge. British Columbians have lost faith in the uh, Attorney General's catch and release justice system, uh, particularly as related to prolific offenders. The province insists that if something is discovered by the investigators before September, it could be implemented for downtown cores like this one in real time. When we're working together with the province, we can roll out solutions more quickly and we can roll out solutions that are actually going to make a difference in our communities. Back at Marquis Wine, Clarides says the solution is simple. Provide mental health support to the offenders who need it and throw the rest in jail. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Police are asking for your help identifying a man responsible for a violent, unprovoked attack on a teenage girl on a Surrey bus. Transit police have released security video of the incident that occurred on a 335 bus headed to Newton Exchange on Friday, April 1st. A man was acting erratically, reportedly sat next to the 17-year-old, and then for no apparent reason, as you can see, gets up and punches her several times in the head. When the teen bends down to pick up her glasses, the suspect then knees her in the head. He's about 30 to 40 years of age, average height, average build. He's wearing a long black winter jacket light blue jeans and black sneakers with Velcro, Velcro closures. So the suspect is quite distinct looking. And if you look at that video, you look at those photos. If, if you recognize that suspect, we're asking that you contact us. The suspect was last seen leaving the bus at 152nd Street and 84th Avenue. The victim was traumatized, but did not suffer any serious physical injuries. Another sign tonight of just how brazen many of B.C.'s gang members are. The province's anti-gang integrated police force is showing off an arsenal of weapons seized from gangsters, along with cash, cars and drugs. As John Hua reports, police credit their new in-your-face tactics with the progress. The violence is brazen. Gangs trading gunfire at any given time. The consequences, often tragic and deadly. Every firearm that we can take off of the streets and out of the hands of a person who may use it to commit a public shooting keeps our community safer. This is the result of just a two-month operation. Weapons, drugs and cash seized by BC's Uniform Gang Enforcement Team. Their message if gangsters are going to come out of the shadows and wage war in public, police are more than ready to meet them out in the open. We want individuals engaged in this high-risk lifestyle to know that we will be relentless in our pursuit of them so that they cannot hurt anyone else. BC's Combined Forces Special Enforcement Unit tracking data of high-risk activity and individuals and hitting both with a heavy badge presence. Our UGAD officers seized on average two firearms per week from individuals on the streets. Gang life prevention experts say overt operations like this are a necessary deterrent. When every attempted hit or violent retaliation could be just around the corner. They're almost hunting one another constantly. 
And they have sources out there, just like the police have sources to find people. While prevention programs and weapon seizures are key parts of the equation, experts say putting an end to this conflict comes down to how gun charges are handled in court. If you kept in jail the guys using firearms during the commission of their offenses, it'd be a pretty quiet town. For now, Spencer says there's no shortage of weapons on the streets and wannabe gangsters to wield them which means police will have to be ready to pivot. Our teams are constantly updated with that form of intelligence and they deploy accordingly. So police will continue to make criminals feel the heat in hopes of helping the public feel safe again. John Hua, Global News. An indigenous man and his granddaughter have settled a human rights complaint with the Bank of Montreal. They were wrongly arrested and handcuffed by Vancouver police when they tried to open a bank account for the girl. And as Catherine Urquhart report, uh, reports, they hope the wide-ranging settlement allows them to move on with their lives. Outside Bank of Montreal in downtown Vancouver, Maxwell Johnson prepares himself for a press conference. Johnson and his granddaughter have just settled a human rights complaint against the bank. She's like me, happy we're getting close to it, uh, the settlement, and she just wants us to be over with now too, and so she could move on with her life. In December 2019, Johnson and his then 12-year-old granddaughter were handcuffed outside the bank while trying to open an account. A branch employee had questioned their Indian status card and reported a fraud in progress. Seeing your granddaughter get taken out of there and handcuffed, I don't think any grandfather or parent would like to see that. The settlement includes an undisclosed amount of money and a private apology ceremony in Bella Bella. BMO also agreed to an organization-wide Indigenous education course for all employees and will display First Nations art and territorial acknowledgements in several branches. I used BMO colors of their logo, so I got the blue here and you see the human face. Johnson himself created artwork. He'll be gifting BMO. It is something I felt I had to do to move on with my life. Um, it just it shows that we are working together to come to an agreement with what happened. Bank of Montreal told Global News, We are pleased that we have reached a settlement with Mr. Johnson and his granddaughter. This was an important step for BMO toward reconciliation, and we hope that the Johnsons reach the resolution and closure they deserve. We're very proud of Max, but we also know that it was a big burden that he carried as well, you know, with with his family. The Office of the Police Complaint Commissioner found the two Vancouver police officers who handcuffed Johnson and his granddaughter committed misconduct and acted oppressively. Following news of the settlement, Vancouver police told Global News there is an ongoing human rights process underway and it would be inappropriate to comment further. Johnson is hoping other banks and institutions will educate themselves about Indigenous people and status cards. Just understand more about the people you're dealing with. It doesn't matter if you're First Nations, Black, Oriental or White, you know. Understand them. You know, they're people too, just like me. While Johnson has reached a settlement with BMO, he has chosen to close his account there saying it just doesn't feel right to be with them any longer. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. At Vancouver City Hall today, a ceremony marking National Red Dress Day. When I say no more, you say stolen sisters, no more. Stolen sisters, no more. 
Red dresses hang in the trees at City Hall, symbolizing the violence indigenous women face daily at rates that remain much higher than the general population. The dresses honor thousands of murdered and missing indigenous women, girls and two-spirit people who never returned to their communities. A national inquiry said in 2019 the issue amounts to a genocide. We deserve safety. We deserve to be here. We deserve to be here amongst all of us. And for those that we are standing here today to honor and remember, we want to, we want to make sure that they're not forgotten, that we'll always honor and love them. They were loved. They were our family members. They were our sisters, our cousins, our aunties, our grandmothers, our relatives, our dear, dear friends. A single red dress is also hanging at the legislature in Victoria, with the Premier vowing to work every day to end violence against Indigenous women. Residents of a mobile home park in the community of Sycamuse have been told to be ready to leave their homes at a moment's notice. Very stressful, anxiety, the whole nine yards. District issuing an evacuation alert for their neighbourhood because of the risk of a landslide. A geotechnical report has found damage to the slopes above the park from last year's wildfires has made the land unstable and dramatically increased the risk of a slide. The alerting system that we have, the early warning system that we have, um, indicated that uh, we were going to be expecting enough rain in the forecast that uh, there is a possibility for debris flow. And... Uh, with that, uh, we had a discussion this morning. Uh, we looked at some of the pictures of the creeks and stuff that are flowing and uh, determined that it would be a good idea to put it out an evacuation alert. This way of knowing is, is actually more difficult. It's been a harder journey for us because of the level of anxiety, not knowing which way Mother Nature is going to move and what to do. Um, so you're kind of like a sitting duck. The regional district says in the event of an evacuation, residents will be given as much notice as possible, but it says they should be ready to leave with enough supplies for at least 72 hours at any time. An arresting development in B.C. politics. High-profile RCMP Sergeant Eleanor Sturko is throwing her Mounties hat in the ring in the Surrey South riding. Why she's changing careers next on the NewsHour. Disturbing allegations at the sex assault trial of former Headley frontman Jacob Hogard coming up on the news hour. Right now, though, another big announcement by the B.C. Liberal Party just days after new leader Kevin Falcon won a seat in the legislature. Former Surrey RCMP spokesperson Eleanor Sturko will be the Liberals candidate in the Surrey South by-election. Aaron MacArthur now reports on what Sturko's nomination might mean for the party in one of the closest ridings in the province. We're working as hard as we can to find this suspect and, and bring them to justice. A familiar face and a recognizable voice. So I have to tell you that this is quite a morale boost for our detachment. For years, Eleanor Sturko has been keeping the public informed on public safety as the spokesperson for the Surrey RCMP. Her career taking a turn in a new direction, hoping to add MLA to her resume. I view the NDP has failed to follow through on the commitments that they've already made to Surrey. Sturko has been nominated by the BC Liberals as the party's candidate in the upcoming Surrey South by-election. When I look at what's happening in BC right now, um, and I look at the way that you know I personally feel about the impacts 
on public safety and on health and the wellness of the province when we look at the opioid crisis. This is the time. An SFU political science professor says Sterko may be exactly what the Liberals have been lacking and could show the party is open to a more socially inclusive approach to politics. That is a a signal that this is a party that wants to to reach across the divides, and it is a turn away from perhaps uh, the era of uh, the BC Liberals marked by by, uh, MYs such as uh, uh, Laurie Throne. The fact that people like yourself even asked me about things about the LGBT and about inclusion just shows that we have more work to do. And I'm ready to take that challenge on. One of the reasons Sturco has given for running for the B.C. Liberals is the new leader, Kevin Falcon, a former Surrey MLA. The NDP say Sturco more than qualified to be a candidate and her ideas are welcome in the debate, but are quickly tying her to the former Liberal government's record in Surrey, bringing up bridge tolls and sold hospital lands. I think we have to remember what his record was. He took care of the top 1% with the tax cuts. He took care of, of his friends that were there. But- Sturko lives in South Surrey with her wife and three kids. A date has yet to be set for the by-election. Sturko currently action. on leave. I'm the worried RCMP. about what's going to happen in the future. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Battleground Surrey once again. Keith Baldry joins us now with a closer look at the changing voting pattern in Surrey. In Surrey South, Keith. Yeah, Surrey South used to be considered a fairly strong uh, riding for VC Liberals. Stephanie Cadu uh, usually won comfortably there, uh, but uh, her margin of victory went from 4,800 to less than 1,200 in the last election. The demographics are changing out there. It's now a toss-up seat, sixth closest result in the 2020 election. Here's a further breakdown of the last election. The BC Liberals with a win there with 47.4%. Their vote was down more than 500, though. The NDP vote, which is interesting, is surging in South Surrey, right? Uh, in the last election, again, topping up more than 3,000 from the election before, and the green vote seems to be going down. And right next door, just south of there in in Surrey-White Rock, the NDP vote there again surged as well, almost winning that seat, winning, the Liberals winning by less than 300 there. So the demographics of Surrey are changing, Sophie, and this is a much more friendly turf for the NDP. So this is not going to be a Vancouver-Cochena walkaway for any party there, whenever that by-election is called. It has to be called within six months, but the NDP now competitive there in ways they never have been historically. So it's going to be a very interesting race to watch and a very uh, interesting election night. I expect it to be a close one. Looking forward to seeing who the NDP put up in that uh, Mm -hmm. by-election. Keith, thank you. Well, we have more breaking news for you now. This time, it's a fatal accident in Burnaby. Jordan Armstrong joins us with more of the details. Jordan, just coming in, but what are you learning? Yeah, Sophie, a tragic situation unfolding in Burnaby this hour. Neither RCMP nor BC Ambulance have confirmed exactly what happened, but here's what we can tell from our camera currently at the scene. There is a dump truck stopped on 11th Avenue near 15th Street, and behind that dump truck, there appears to be a body covered by a tarp. Police, including members of the ICARS team are there. Witnesses tell us this is a busy construction zone with large work vehicles coming and going at all hours of the day. Once again, what appears to be a fatal pedestrian collision in Burnaby. We're working on getting more details and we'll update you a bit later. Sophie. All right. Thanks for that, Jordan Armstrong. And coming up on the news hour, expectant parents getting nervous. We have lots of women on our wait list that we can't take. Why the shortage of midwives is becoming a big problem. Also ahead, a freedom of information request shows the sad fate of dozens of black bears. 
still very busy both ways over here at the Arthur Lang Bridge after clearing an earlier crash at the north end. If you're just leaving now, give yourself plenty of extra time between Vancouver and Richmond on this route. Get best-in-class protection and savings with BCAA Insurance. Learn more at bcaa.com. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Centre. Pregnant women who want a midwife are facing a stark reality. If you are not already on a clinic roster, you probably won't get on one before December. The United Nations says the world is short 900,000 midwives. And as Neetu Garcha reports, those still in the profession here in B.C. say they face unbearable working conditions. Alrighty. Come on in. We'll just get you up on the bed today. Two-year-old Levi and his mother are going in for a checkup at this Abbotsford midwife clinic. Um, yeah, can you take the sweater off for me? But there's a lineup of nearly 20 other mothers on their wait list. Unfortunately, we are completely full. And it has the clinic's co-owner, a midwife herself, sounding the alarm over what she calls a midwife shortage crisis, with no one applying for the jobs they're trying to fill. We often joke, as soon as you pee on that stick, you call us. We've never had any issues in the 10 years we've been here. We've hired one to three midwives every year with um, three to five applicants. She says the problem has gotten worse because of COVID-19, limiting home birth options for parents like Jadine Freund, who delivered her fourth child at home during the pandemic. I had midwifery care through all four of my babies, and it's just something that I could never consider birthing without again. One of the things I wanted to chat with you about today was the newborn procedures for your baby. Through MSP, the Provincial Ministry of Health covers the costs of the service for all BC residents with a valid care card. But they're overworked, underpaid, and not given fair privileges in the health care system, says the Midwives Association of BC. Need for compensation, uh, better benefits, you know, getting some regular vacation time in just to have a recharge. We know that Indigenous communities often are, are even affected more than other communities wanting to be serviced by Indigenous midwives. We've added uh, training spaces at UBC and other things, 28 training spaces. We've created a new pathway for registered nurses that reduces the time they need to become midwives. Can I lift your shirt here? However, adding capacity in the workforce doesn't address the working conditions that are forcing so many out of the profession, says Richardson. Traditionally, the burnout rate is about five, six years, and we've seen midwives stopping the career after one in two years. Whose clinic over the last 10 years has helped deliver 1,600 babies, <laughs> but is now facing the prospect of being forced to close. Neetu Garcha, Global News, Abbotsford. Just ahead, disturbing details from the life of a rock star. The sex assault allegations laid out in court at the trial of former Headley frontman Jacob Hogard. The big tragedy is the deaths after vaccines became widely available. Plus, reflecting on the tragic toll of COVID-19 in the U.S. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory... Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. 
Traffic is still super slow tonight, eastbound along Highway 1, mainly congested at merge points like Willingdon and Kensington, but it really doesn't ease up until about halfway through the Coquitlam stretch. Sussex Insurance has auto plan offices inside the Real Canadian Superstores and Walmarts throughout B.C. Find your nearest location at sussexinsurance.com, open 9 to 9 every day. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Centre. Ukrainian soldiers holding their ground at the Mariupol steel plant, making a final stand in the city as Russia continues its attacks. Meantime, Ukraine's neighbors and international partners are pledging more support and billions of dollars in humanitarian aid. Global's Kyle Benning has more. The Russian military continues its assault on the Mariupol steel plant, where hundreds of Ukrainian soldiers have been holding off the Kremlin's offensive. About 100 women, children and seniors were taken out of the building during a ceasefire earlier this week, and those leading the defense are calling for another pause. He calls on the international community to help evacuate civilians still inside of the plant and for Ukraine's commander-in-chief to take care of wounded soldiers who are receiving inadequate care. He adds Ukrainians must be able to collect corpses and say goodbye to loved ones. Pro-Russian forces in the Donbass have also released a video that suggests they have captured Ukrainian soldiers. Meantime, the U.S. says 90% of the howitzer long-range artillery systems it pledged to Ukraine have been sent. This following reports from the Kremlin that the U.S. and its allies are feeding intelligence to Ukraine, which has seen a dozen Russian generals killed. The U.S. National Security Council says it gives information to Ukraine to protect its country and not to kill Russian generals. In Warsaw, European leaders came together to pledge further support to the country. I believe that Europe will show its strengths today you will show your strengths, including the strengths of international institutions. The conference saw $6.5 billion U.S. pledged in humanitarian aid from international partners as millions remain displaced from the war. This will not only build your country anew, but this will also pave your way into the European Union. The Ukrainian prime minister says the country has received more than $12 billion in assistance since the full-scale war started. Kyle Benning. Global News. One of the two alleged victims in the sexual assault trial of Canadian musician Jacob Hogard told her story in a Toronto courtroom today. And a warning, some of the allegations against the former lead singer of the band Headley are very disturbing. Global's Sean O'Shea reports. Four years after he was charged, musician Jacob Hogard finally faced the in court. The singer for the band Headley is accused of sexually assaulting two young female fans in 2016. The Crown prosecutor laid out their case, alleging Hogarth at one point violently raped a woman who was 16 and had an unwanted sexual encounter with another. The defense admits there were sexual encounters with two women. One of the women whose complaints led to the charges took the witness box. Now 21, she was just 10 when she first saw Hogarth at a concert. At age 13, she and her parents first met and socialized with Hogarth. At 15, she said she and Hogarth developed a texting relationship and one on the messaging app Snapchat. They included nude photos and a video where she said Hogarth was masturbating. The woman described how, for one concert in Toronto at an after party, the Headley star grabbed her, quote, by the bum and picked her up. I didn't want to be touched, she said. He was making me feel uncomfortable. At only 15, she says he tried to kiss her on the neck at that party. The woman says Hogarth planned to arrange another meeting just between the two, and she was willing to go, testifying that the romantic messages between the two continued by text and Snapchat.
In Health Matters tonight, a look at our COVID-19 numbers. And here's the weekly data now for B.C. There are 550 people in hospital, 39 of those patients in the ICU. There have been 50 more deaths recorded due to complications of the virus. And we have nearly 2,300 new confirmed cases. And there are several grim updates on the pandemic front tonight, which some health experts claim could have been preventable. The United States hitting one million deaths related to COVID-19. And the World Health Organization says globally the number is likely more, than, more like 15 million. We'll get more from Global's Reggie Cicchini. We've been told that COVID-19 is here to stay. And despite a rush to leave it in the past, it's a reality for millions for whom covid will forever remain in their lives. I just miss everything about her, everything, everything. This pandemic ripped families apart. In Canada, almost 40,000 people have died. It's almost 1 million in the United States and almost 15 million on the world stage. The reporting is based on direct and indirect deaths, though it's believed to be largely undercounted. We watched this global crisis unfold in China and we didn't take action. Dr. Rick Bright, a government scientist, was fired during the Trump administration after blowing a whistle, arguing politics was superseding public health. It's going to disappear. One day it's like a miracle. It will disappear. That never happened. And today, COVID still remains an insurmountable obstacle. The big tragedy is the deaths after vaccines became widely available. While 80% of Canadians are fully vaccinated, only 60% of Americans are. Disinformation became a secondary plague, and that thwarted what were already dire predictions in the U.S. Maybe even potentially 200,000 people succumbing to this. A patchwork of policies and vaccine resistance and hesitancy drove America's death toll higher, doubling it from half a million in just over a year. There was so much distrust in our nation that people did not respond appropriately to save their lives. Experts say the consequence could be a lesson that proper communication will prove to be a powerful tool next time and serve as a reminder of the loss that could be at stake. Reggie Chikini, Global News, Washington. Just ahead, he was a giant in Little League Baseball. Here is the coach of this Canadian team from Surrey, British Columbia. How Ed Myers is being remembered for more than just his championship teams. Also coming up, the self-described crazy owl lady saves another one. A sobering new report shows more than 70 bear cubs were killed by conservation officers in 2021. Bear advocates say many killings were unnecessary. They want to see changes to BC's conservation service. But as Paul Johnson shows us, the provinces or the province is taking a different view of things. Crimes against nature, in my opinion, is what we're looking at. Among the activists in British Columbia who are concerned about bears, North Vancouver's Ellie Lamb is one of those alarmed and saddened by new numbers released by the provincial government. The numbers were, had to be distilled and turned into a, a very disturbing number of cubs and yearlings killed. Well, the killing of adult bears that conservation officers deem a public threat has grown more controversial in recent years. Little had been known publicly about the number of bear cubs killed by the province. A freedom of information request filed by the group Fur Bearers recently found that 77 bear cubs were killed for various reasons in 2021 alone. 
Lamb and the activists who poured over the report believe most of those killings were unnecessary. Here's one anecdote. A four-pound cub such as the one in Terrace that was on the side of a road and the, and the conservation service came up to it and parked their truck, got out, threw a rock at the cub, yelled at the cub. This is a cub that's half the size of a cat. And from there, they pulled out their um, firearm and shot the cub. Fur Bearers has filed a complaint with the Ministry of the Environment, which oversees the Conservation Officer Service. And Thursday, Environment Minister George Heyman told Global News the service makes a priority of trying to relocate bears when possible. When animals are habituated to uh, human sources of food, whether it's uh, as an adult or, uh, or as a cub with their adult, there is then a risk to human communities. But activists like Lamb believe that especially in the case of cubs, other options are available including the province's two bear cub rehabilitation centers. While officers are expected to make their own decisions on the ground, the current rules make the government a significant killer of bear cubs in B.C. The uh, Conservation Service is a policing agency. Their job is about public safety, uh, and, and there is nothing unsafe about a four-pound cub uh, looking for help. Paul Johnson, Global News. Sure, cute. All right, let's uh, switch gears, check in on the weather forecast, and this soggy, cool May continues. Christy's got the details. Thanks so much, Chris. So uh, today was rather uh, dreary, let's be honest. And I had a look back at the stats. When you get rainfall like this and highs reaching only 10 or 11 degrees, this is more indicative of weather that we would see in early March. So basically, winter. <laughs> That's sort of what it feels like out here. And we've got more of it on the way, but not the soaker that we saw today. Here's a quick look. So we talked about this yesterday, this trough, upper level trough that is going to shift in. And we are going to see exceptionally cooler conditions as we head into the weekend, similar to what we're seeing today. And that's the case right across Western Canada. So that's your Mother's Day forecast in terms of temperature with that big dip, as you can see here. Looks like we'll warm up into the early parts, middle parts of next week. But then we've got another dip on the way for us as we approach the following weekend. So we're talking about a good three to potentially six degrees below seasonal. The good news, the widespread rain that we're seeing right now will ease off. The system tomorrow is going to stay south of the border mostly. We have a slight chance of showers across our region with mainly cloudy skies. And then into Saturday and Sunday, it's more like instability. So pockets of showers with mainly cloudy skies. But I think we'll see some sunshine in the mix here and there, just not a lot of it. So that more so instability with those pockets of precipitation where you need to keep your rain jacket just in case versus the rain jacket needing to be on all day like what we saw today. So tomorrow a, a tiny bit of a warm up to highs of 12 degrees but then we're back to highs of only 11 degrees Saturday and Sunday and potentially Monday before that little warm up is set to push in sort of Tuesday into Wednesday. Tonight's central windows weather window I don't know where it came from but basically April showers brings May flowers and so do May Showers bring May flowers. <laughs> Thank you to Margarita for that great, great shot. All the showers, because <laughs> we are getting all of them right now. Thanks, Christy. Sure seems that way, doesn't it? Uh, a great horned owlet has been given a second chance at life, thanks to an Okanagan woman who refers to herself as the crazy owl lady. You got kisses now. Okay. 
This is Kay Cornish and Marvel. Marvel lives in a tree next to the Cornish home in Armstrong. But last month, disaster struck. Marvel and his nest were blown to the ground in a windstorm. That's when Kay stepped in and fashioned a new nest from a wicker basket, a flannel sheet, and an old towel. Together with her husband, Wayne, they wired it up with uh, uh, wired it up in the tree with Marvel safely inside and then waited for the mum, who they've named Olivia. Walked along the branch, cautiously put one leg in the basket and continued raising her baby. It's just fun for me. She does all the work, I get to watch. The couple are keeping a close eye on Marvel's progress and will be happy to see him be able to fly off on his own. Cute little guy. Alice, do you have that sort of judgmental look when they look at you? Right? I noticed that too. Looking down at us. They are always looking down at us. Nice basket, but, you know, no, they were great. Uh, Squires here now. Mm -hmm. Owls always want to know if you give a hoot. That's why they're so judgmental. (laughs) What? Why the crickets? Why no rim shot? Well, I think you know. Oh, there it is, kind of. (laughs) Uh, The BC Lions are uh, getting ready for training camp. It's not that far away. It's a new season, this time a full 18-game season. I think everyone's really excited. You're always excited for the season, but this one feels different. Feels different because the Lions feel a lot better about this team when you compare them to the one last year that won only five games. They have a new starting quarterback and some familiar stars returning. Also tonight, the Wally baseball coach who imparted a lot of wisdom beyond baseball. NBA playoffs, NHL playoffs. Yes. We're missing football in there somewhere, though. Well, um, it's not that far away now, the CFL. It uh, doesn't seem like it's that far away, but it isn't that far away. What did I just say? Hmm. Uh, The BC Lions training camp starts next weekend in Kamloops, and this time it'll be a lot different than last year when the league was coming off that full season down because of COVID. They played only 14 games, didn't have any exhibition contests. This year will be a lot more normal. Um, Although one thing you wouldn't want to be normal is the Lions' fortunes because losing seasons have become the norm for BC in recent years. The Lions haven't had an above 500 record in a regular season since 2016. That's when Wally Buono was still the coach. Last year, BC won only five games under Rick Campbell, who was in his first season as BC's boss, with a lot of younger players underneath him. This time around, Campbell thinks BC has a better chance to gel right away. Being that this coaching staff and this group of players have already worked together, it just uh, it helps you from a higher starting point um, when, you know, when we hit the practice field next week. And what should also help is a lot of key veterans are coming back for 2022 as well. Uh, we do have a core group of guys, um, guys like Burnham and, and Lucky Whitehead and those guys and TJ Lee and there's a whole crew of guys that are a core group and um, it's great that we were able to retain those guys and then uh, you know we'll add the new guys into the mix. The biggest change, of course, is second-year man Nathan Rourke is now the starting quarterback. But Campbell has no fear with Rourke as his number one. He proved his mettle when he was forced to play the opening game last season against the Riders because Michael Riley was hurt. He couldn't have been put in, into a more challenging situation of a sold-out crowd on the road using silent count. 
all those things that uh, you know your first game ever that's a hard that's the hardest situation you could be put in and not surprisingly it doesn't it doesn't phase him um, he just keeps working and, and doing his thing and he keeps battling and um, you know he, he keeps all those attributes then uh, good things will happen on Tuesday Igor Shesturkin had to make 79 saves and or make that face 79 shots and he lost in triple overtime 4-3 to the Penguins tonight his team gave him more goal support. He allowed less goals. Chris Kreider with the tip in right there as the Rangers went up 3-1 in the Penguins. Gives his game two, of course. And uh, Frank Vetrano just keeps going. Just keeps going and scores. And the series is now tied between New York and Pittsburgh. 1-1. Let's go back to last night because I guess this is the final game for the Canucks, either Vancouver or Abbotsford this season. It's only a best of three the first round of the AHL playoffs, so you don't get a lot of mulligans. Abbotsford had a 1-0 lead on this Sheldon Dry's goal in the first period, but just like in game one, tough finish. They allowed the tying goal late in game one and lost in overtime, and last night they allowed the winning goal with only a minute 22 left. So Abbotsford Canucks season has come to an end. Cleveland, of course, is now the Guardians. Blue Jays in Cleveland. Vlad Guerrero's at the plate, and he's parking this ball into the cheapest of seats. 2-0 in the first, but uh, pretty good fifth inning for the Guardians. Franmil Reyes will score. Stephen Kwan, who earlier in the game had his first ever home run. This would make it 5-2. The Jays would get close, though. Alejandro Kirk, just like you saw Guerrero earlier. Drives one out to deep left field. This is also going to the left side beyond the fence. That would make it 6-5, to five, but Bobochette struck out, and that ended the game as Cleveland beat Toronto 6-5. Madrid open, Felix Auger-Aliassime. Aliassime against Sinner. Aliassime won the first set 6-1. On the clay. Second set, Felix with the drop shot. Oh, that's very delicate, very impressive. Felix wins this 6-1, 6-2. The French Open incidentally starts May 15th, so it's good to uh, get warmed up in the clay. I want to show you this from last night, 68,000 fans in Seattle. This was Champions League for CONCACAF, the second game of two, the first game tied 2-2. Seattle in front of that huge crowd. Raul Rui Diaz will score here to make it 2-0 uh, in this game, 4-2 on aggregate, and then Nicolas Ladero would finish things off for Seattle. First time MLS has won the CONCACAF Champions League in this format. Good for the Sounders. Good for the MLS as well as they beat Pumas of Mexico. There you go. Very exciting. Thank you, Squire. All right. Coming up, why Wally Little Leaguers will be wearing a patch this year that says simply, Ed. All right, just before we check in with Jordan, a bit of breaking news on our top story, breaking news about the 911 outage across much of southern B.C. Just seeing a tweet from uh, Cranbrook Fire now saying 911 is now back up and running. They have been told by Ecom that the system has been restored. So that is good news for anyone who faces an emergency. Uh, Certainly is. Yeah, we'll stay on top of that uh, tonight, Sophie, as well. We're following that story out of Burnaby, where it appears a pedestrian has been killed by a dump truck. We have cameras at the scene 
scene looking for more details. Plus, the battle over a problem property in North Vancouver. The city says this home, which was the scene of a recent drive-by shooting, is an illegal rooming house with as many as 10 suites. The city is taking the owner to court, but the owner tells us she's the victim, claiming squatters have taken over the place, aren't paying rent, and as a retiree, she says she doesn't know what to do. Also tonight, a heartwarming story. Smokey the cat found alive after the Gastown fire. Details tonight on Global News at 11. Sophie. All right, great to hear. Thanks, Jordan. Smokey's real cute. All right, the reputation of the Wally Little League is known far and wide. Lots of championships in Canada and visits to the World Series. And the man behind that team was legendary coach Ed Myers. Myers died of cancer earlier this year, and as Jay Durant tells us on This Is BC, his legacy will be celebrated this season. This is the most important time in your lives. Ed Myers coached Wally Little League for 38 years. An incredible run for a guy who first got involved because he didn't like what the kids were wearing on the field. He was upset that we had to wear these crappy uniforms and we didn't have pants, so... So that next year, uh, he ordered good uniforms and he got my mom to make all the team's pants. There is the coach of this Canadian team from Surrey, British Columbia. Myers lost his battle with cancer earlier this year. The league will be honoring him in many ways this season. Every player will wear a patch. We were going to put EM for Ed Myers, but we decided to go with Ed. So this one was, was his pride and joy. Twice he coached teams all the way to the World Series. Here is the 1996 uh, Canadian Championship ring. He was a great instructor and an incredible motivator who always made sure his players were set before first pitch. He'd look at the kids and he'd say, you know, are you ready? And the kids would be like, oh yeah, we're ready, we're ready. He's like, I can't hear you, are you ready? He's like, we're ready! And they say, I can't hear you, are you ready? He's like, we're ready! Loud voice, you could always hear him. I got a lot of that stuff. Later on, there was talk that maybe it was time to retire, to have some more free time. Okay. Oh man, every year. <laughs> every year it was a debate. He eventually did, but still had to make sure the grandkids knew the game. There, that is perfect. For nearly four decades, Ed Myers gave everything he had to Wally Little League. He is a legend at this field. When I see this park, I think of Dad. That's a couple of World Series rings, just pass it down. The thing he was proudest of, though, was, was just being able to be there for the kids every year. Jay Durant, Global News. And if you know someone who has a great story to tell or something unique to BC, don't forget to email your ideas to Jay at thisisbc at globalnews.ca. A lot of practices and some games have been delayed or postponed indefinitely because of that rain this year. Let's get a last word from Christy mm -hmm. before we go. Sure. So over the weekend, uh, we're not expecting the rainfall that we saw today. So that is good news, but it is going to stay well below seasonal until next week. All right. Thanks, Christy. Thanks for watching, everyone. Have a good night. Good night, all.